Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. We're good to go. Well, if you have a Bible, open up with me to Haggai chapter 2. Haggai chapter 2, go, if you don't know where that is, go to Matthew and then three books back to the left in the Old Testament, you'll find a little tiny book, two chapters, called the book of Haggai. And uh, this, this has just been such a blessing for me, man. I don't know about you guys, but the last couple weeks, uh, just considering the first, the first part, the first message that Haggai gives to the children of Israel, he says, hey, consider your ways. Really kind of the idea of thinking through your life and what are you living for and who are you living for and is really the Lord the center of your life or are we just saying that? You got to take time to consider our ways. How are we living our lives? And then last week we considered how, what we're supposed to do, responding to God's word, how we respond to God's word and, and what that, how the Lord works in our lives when we respond to him. And so it's been very, very practical, yeah? It's been so good. I've, been, I've enjoyed it so much. And this week, it even uh, gets better and more practical as we consider what it means to overcome discouragement. Anybody ever been discouraged before? Like four or five of you, so that's good. But, well, listen, you guys just come over my house every week and encourage me then, so that would be great. But now we've all been in, in, uh, discouraged, you know, and so we're going to consider what, how, what does the Lord say about how do we overcome discouragement in our lives? So, Stand with me, and we're going to read Haggai chapter 2, verses 1 through 9 this morning. Haggai chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, we read, In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shetiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet, now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts according to the covenant that I have made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst, fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry um, land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Father, we thank you for your word this morning, and we ask you to come now. Speak into our lives, Lord. Don't, don't, don't allow us to be, be the same people we were when we came in. Lord, speaks something in impactful into our lives this morning. And uh, Lord, may our ears be open to hear. Lord, soften our hearts right now to receive. Lord, we desire for you to do work in our lives this morning. And so we come on our knees, surrendering to you and asking you to do that. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, who is our teacher. And we surrender to him now in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. 
discouragement is one of the main weapons of the enemy. It's one of the main weapons of the enemy. He may not be able to really get you with envy. He may not be able to get you with lust. He may not be able to get you with all the various other things that he has in his tool belt. But one thing that he can get almost every one of us with is discouragement. Discouragement. It is his most effective weapon. He uses it to get us off track from, what God, from the best life that God has for us because he knows how impactful God can be through us when we are in step with him. And so the enemy wants to derail what the Lord is doing in this world through us. And so he tries to discourage us and get us off track and get us to stop doing what the Lord is calling us to do. And it happens at the most interesting time for most of us. Most of the time, that he begins, I should say, most of the time, immediately when we find our calling. But don't take my word for it. I want to share a testimony of one of our sisters here in the fellowship about this very thing. And so will you draw your attention to the screen here? A few of you may know I've been reaching out to the church for some prayer about um, some things that have been going on in my own life. I'm in the middle of a lot of big transitions and I just really feel a lot of opposition from the enemy in my own life. Uh, about six years ago, I felt like God was leading me to go back to school, uh, to get a counseling degree, and just to go into that field. And he has led me every step of the way. But with every transition has come attacks uh, from Satan on my life. Every time that I feel like God is moving me and transitioning me into a new position, I, I can really feel that opposition weighing down on me. So just recently, um, I've started my internship. It's like a new job for me um, in a counseling center. And I really prayed for this position. Um, I spent a lot of time talking to God about it. And and he really just laid it all out for me. And I knew in my heart that that's what he wanted me to do. Um, and as soon as I was accepted to this position, um, the enemy just was right there waiting to attack. Um, so I, I was praying and praying about this position. Um, and when I went for my interview, uh, the police pulled me over in the parking lot for no reason, blocked off the whole entrance. Um, I was embarrassed. And right then, Satan started. Do not go in there. Uh, you don't even deserve to be here. This is so embarrassing. They're not going to take you here at this place after this has happened to you. Um, so after the police left, they never gave me a ticket. I just sat in my car and I prayed, God, this is where you led me to. This is where you wanted me to be. And I know I'm hearing voices right now that are telling me that I'm not good enough. Um, but you brought me here. And if it's your will, it'll be done. And so I went ahead and I went in and I got the position. Um, and so I got ready to start the position. Um, I asked for prayer because I had other offers coming in that were very tempting. Um, offers to go to other places that would make my name greater. Um, 
and that would get my name out into the counseling world more. Um, and it was very tempting, but I knew I prayed to God to show me where he wanted me to go. So I knew where he wanted me to go. But then here Satan is dangling this carrot in front of my face saying, oh, but over here's better. Over here will make you more famous. And I instantly started thinking last minute, oh, well, we'll just ditch this plan that God gave me and go over here. So first I went to my husband and I was like, hey, uh, this is a good idea. Maybe I can go over here. And he very plainly said to me, why? Why would you go here? when God has already given you what you've prayed for, right? And that totally made sense. And I really felt and realized that I was under opposition and I needed to be careful. And so I got ready to start the job and I went to to Pastor Tim and Brian for prayer uh, and asked them, please pray over me. I can really feel the enemy trying to stop me from this transition that God's trying to move me into. And so they prayed over me. Um, and the very next morning, all the cars in my driveway had their tires slashed from some kids. Um, and that was very disheartening. And I felt like I was trying, there were all these obstacles coming in my way. Um, that were keeping me from being able to get to where I needed to go to do the things I needed to do. And and I just prayed, God, make a way. And he did. So even though Satan was attacking me, God was still giving me provisions to be able to get there. Satan's trying to stop me. God's giving me a way to go anyway, every single time. Um, and so before I went on my first day, I prayed again with my boss at work uh, at my first job. Please just pray with me. I've been under a lot of attack. Um, she prayed with me. I left there and headed to my counseling job, got hit by a car. Um, but again, I just said, God, I, I know, I know the enemy's trying to stop me right now. And um, I did. I did have a little bit of discouragement. I did want to quit. I'm not going to lie. There were moments when when I was like, everything I try to do is failing. Every time I try to get up and, and go do this thing that you told me to do, something happens to keep me from going. Um, but every time I stopped and said, God, you want this for me and you'll make it happen, he did. And so... Um, you know, I did get discouraged and I did want to quit, but I didn't. I kept praying. I kept reaching out to the church. I kept reaching out to my pastors. I reached out to my husband. I reached out to my my spiritual friends um, who were also filled with the Holy Spirit. And um, I just I just keep pressing on and I'm not quitting. And um, I'm in my new position and I, I'm doing great things. And it's only because I kept trusting God and I kept moving forward, even though there was attack after attack after attack. Um, I always say, if he brought you to it, he'll bring you through it. And it's true. Satan's going to try to stop you from the great and wonderful things that God wants you to do. But you know what? God is mightier than Satan. He's already won. And if he wants it to happen, he'll make it happen. And so I just want to encourage you to 
to press on, don't quit, and keep trusting God when you know that you're on the right path and Satan just keeps throwing curveballs at you. Hang in there. That sound familiar? It is insane. It is insane how things like that happen to us when we step into what God's calling us to do. Listen, God called you to something, and he never said it was going to be easy. He did not promise you that there was going to be zero opposition. In fact, he promised us the direct opposite. He said, dude, you're going to face the enemy, but don't worry because I've overcome him. So, you know, when we, when we step into what God is calling us to do and we start facing these trials, there's a whole bunch of things that will derail us if we're not careful. You know, and, and what I love about Tabitha's story is that she didn't try and deal with this on her own, which is what most of us try and do. And we find ourselves in this pit of despair. We're, we're depressed we're anxious, we, we're, we've stopped in our tracks, we're not moving forward, and we're, we know we're in disobedience to God, and yet we're going to do it on our own. You know what I love about the story in Haggai is that God addresses, you notice how at first he addressed just the leaders, just Zerubbabel and Haggai, it was this, this message was to them, chapter one. You come to chapter two in this particular case, and he says, Listen, Zerubbabel, listen, Joshua, listen, all you people. Collectively, you're all going through the exact same thing. He's saying that what you're struggling with, the, 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 the discouragement that you have in your life, somebody else is having in their life. And so God has an answer for it, and he wants to, he wants to deploy that answer to as many people as he possibly can and if we remain quiet and we say nothing, we will receive nothing on the horizontal in terms of God using other people in our lives to get super practical with us, to get down on the ground level with us and say, listen, I've been there. I know what you're going through, but you got to continue to trust the Lord. Joe LaDucer, he's been battling cancer for, what, three years and he's not giving up because he, the Lord gave him a word early on that the Lord is with him and he's going to see him through it. And he said, look, he didn't say it was going to be easy, but he said he would be with me. And Joe's plugging away, man. He's down in Mexico. Pray for him. He's down in Mexico right now getting some alternative treatment for his cancer. It's really the last-ditch last effort in terms of the medical community goes uh, with what they can do for him. Because his liver, most of his liver is gone, and they can't do any more surgery on it. He has liver cancer. And so uh, you can check his story out on his Facebook page. Um, I will post in, on our Facebook page uh, some of his updates, his YouTube uh, updates of, of his story, how he has been navigating through cancer, and also um, the procedures that he's going through right now. So you can, you can continue to in, um, stay encouraged by him. Isn't it encouraging when you watch somebody else going through something super difficult and doing it well? Like they're navigating through it well, and you're just thinking, man, how in the world are they doing that? You know the answer. It's Jesus. That's how they're doing it. 
There is no other way. There's no other way to do it well than to grab onto the Lord and hold on to Him. And that's what we find in this chapter this morning is, is we find these people highly discouraged. Wait a second. Three weeks after they were just on the high and they said, yes, we're going to rebuild, we're going to go for it, and we're going to do all these things, three weeks later, they're down in the dumps. They're down in the dumps, and they are being faced with all kinds of uh, d- discouragement. There's three things that I want to look at here in our, in our passage this, this, this morning. First, I want to look at the cause of discouragement, then the cure for discouragement, and finally, the catalyst for staying encouraged. So first, we're going to consider the cause of discouragement. We notice in verse 1 there, it says, In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Now, uh, he goes on, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shetiel, governor of Judah, and, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who has saw this house in its former go- uh, glory? How do you see it now? And is it not as nothing in your eyes? So the first thing that we, we find in this passage is a date. We find something about the timing of, of this word of the Lord to these people. Now, if you know your, your, your Jewish history, uh, if you're versed in particularly the book of Leviticus chapter 23, then you'll know the timing of this is impeccable, the word of the Lord. Because this is the eighth day of Sukkoth, or the Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Booths. Many different names for the same thing. This is one of three major feasts that they would celebrate. The the Feast of Sukkoth, they would go outside of their homes at the end of the harvest, and this would be the rainy season. They were preparing for rain, and God says, I want you to go out in the rain, I want you to build a structure, a shelter, and I want you to remain there for seven days. I want you to feast and hang out with your family, and I want you to remember what I did as I brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. You ever notice how God is constantly reaching back to that moment, to that one place where he brought the children of Israel out of Exodus, out of of Egypt? He, he brought them out of that place. The reason why is he wants us to understand that his methods are vast. They never change, but he is always Savior, and he will always deliver. And that, that's why he constantly posts back to the same place. He did a, incredible miracles as he brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. He provided for them. He was with them the whole way. He led them to the promised land, and, you know, he, he, he also at the same time judged their sin, and he, he remained the exact same. But he's always reflecting back to Egypt to remind us that he's with us. You're not wandering the desert by yourself. He's with you. And and so he's reminding them that's what this this feast is all about, to take seven days to feast, to, to be joyful. Now, here's something interesting that they did. They would take a picture of water from the water, the, the pool of Siloam. They would take the water. They would go up to the temple, into the temple, and they would go to the altar, and they would pour this pitcher of water on the altar for seven days. For seven days, they'd do the exact same routine. they take the pitcher. The, the priest would go in. He would pour it on the altar. 
what they were saying is, Lord, your provider. And number one, if you reflect back into the, uh, the, the Exodus when they were coming out of Egypt, remember God provided water through a rock. As Moses struck the rock, water came gushing forth. Here's the interesting thing. They were also praying for um, rain for their, their up-and-coming season. That was also part of that. But, but here's what's interesting. On the eighth day, they would take the pitcher empty, and they would have an expectation of God to do something miraculous, that they would expect that when the priest poured that pitcher upside down, that God would provide the water. It was a picture. They didn't know it yet. But it was a picture of what Jesus himself would do on the very same day. In, in John chapter 7, flip over there with me real quick. It is amazing. John chapter 7, Jesus in the temple mount on this very day. And he said in verse 37, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Whoa. Now, here's what you have to understand uh, in this culture. For Jesus to stand up in this moment also was insane. This was supposed to be a quiet moment. The people were waiting with great anticipation. Will God provide the water? And Jesus says, if anyone thirsts, you could imagine people are like, whoa, what the heck is going on here? He speaks about the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, the thing that you've been anticipating, the water that you've been waiting to come down upon the altar is the Holy Spirit, and he is going to come through me. The connection of what was going on in Haggai this day. They were anticipating the Lord to come. They were anticipating the Lord to provide, to do all these things. And yet, they're discouraged on the eighth day. They're, 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 they're wondering if God's going to really show up, if they're going to be able to do that. Why are they discouraged? There's two reasons. Number one, the timing. Number two, they're worried about timing of this, and they're also worried about comparing this temple with the past temple. So let's look at the timing first and foremost. Let's consider that. You ever set a New Year's resolution? Anybody do that? New Year's resolution? Anybody? For real? Anybody? Anybody? Like three, you know, like actually at least, I can't remember what the percentage is, but it's pretty high. A lot of people do New Year's resolutions and all of that kind of stuff, but um, you know, let, let's be honest for a minute. Okay, so, so who's doing it again? Raise your hands. I got to see this. Okay, so, so now, how's it going? Or actually, is it going? Here, here's the question. Are you still doing it? So, so, so to, statistically speaking, man, like 80% of New Year's resolutions are gone by February. In fact, 5% of New Year's resolutions don't make it out of the first week, right? I mean, we're gung-ho. We're going to go until your stomach says, dude, I need a Twinkie right now. Or, 
you know, you're, I'm going to read the Bible more. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to get together with friends more. And then life happens, and you already blew it. And so you go, hey, why, why should I try now? I mean, I've already blown it. I mean, it's only the first week of the year. I mean, it's not like there's another, you know, 50, 51 weeks left in the year. But, hey, you know, we'll try next year. You know what I mean? That's what we'll do. So, so what happens is it's a timing issue for us. The reason why we don't, 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 we don't continue on is because it's not happening fast enough for us. We can't wait long enough. We can't sustain ourselves through, through the, the hunger pains or whatever it is, or I can't just discipline myself enough to, to, to make sure that I have a, a routine that allows me to spend 10 minutes, you know, reading my Bible or, you know, whatever. Or maybe we've set the bar too high. You know, maybe it's unrealistic what we're going after. There's a whole bunch of different reasons. But we can get discouraged real quick when we don't start to see the results that we want to see. It's a matter of timing. It's easy to become discouraged in that moment. These people are three weeks in, and they're discouraged. They're, 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 they're not seeing what they want to see yet. They're not seeing the, the structure built. They're not seeing the glory of the temple yet, and they're discouraged, and they're saying, Oh, man, this is never going to happen. In fact, Zechariah writes a month after this is written, and he says, Zerubbabel is looking still at a pile of rocks saying, how are we going to do this? And you remember what he said, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord, right? It's not happening fast enough. Well, last time I checked, God's not submissive to your timing, Right? He does things in his timing, and he does them as fast as he wants to do them. And I promise you that the reason why he, 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 he's, always, he's, he's always on time, but I promise you the reason why we don't, we don't see it like he's really, you know, acting the way that we, we think he should is, is, is primarily, I don't even know where I'm going with this. All of a sudden, my, my brain just checked out on me. I'm like, where am I? I'm not sure where I am right now, but. But, but, but here's the thing is, we can, we can become discouraged when the Lord's not acting in our timing. Oh, yeah. It's about process. Whoa. You're in process, and that process takes time. And God can do it like that. God can speak the world into existence, but you're in process. You... You need more time. God has to massage some things out of you. He's got to reveal some things to you. And so he moves accordingly in your life. But, Lord, it's not fast enough. He's thinking, well, you're not changing fast enough. So why don't you change fast enough and I'll go faster? That will help me. It's a matter of timing. Not only that, but also, here's the thing. It's also a matter of comparison. We are so guilty of this, man. Oh, the Lord's not moving in my life like this person. I can't, I mean, look how they are. Why isn't God doing this in my life? How come, I, you know, blah, 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 blah. Pastors do this all the time. How come my church isn't bigger than their church? Why isn't God doing something here and over there? And, and you know, poor me. I, I, love, I love what um, Bob Davis said. Hey, if one person shows up, it's more than you deserve, right? So, I mean, <laughs> it, it, he goes, he says, listen, I don't even understand why they keep coming back. You know, like... Hey, if the Lord keeps sending them, I'll keep preaching. But, um, 
But, but listen, we, ha- we compare. We're guilty of that. And when we start comparing, we start getting discouraged, right? Oh, man, what the Lord. That's what was going on in this, in this moment as well, is that there were some old dudes in, in the old, uh, you know, this, the temple had only been uh, torn down for the, the time that they went to Babylon. They were in the captivity for 70 years, so probably 66 years it had been torn down. Uh, there were people uh, that left from it and saw the former glory of the temple that were present when this temple was being erected. And in fact, Ezra tells us that when the foundations were being laid, they were not happy with the footprint. They were not happy with the foundation that was being laid there. And in fact, Ezra chapter 3, verses 1 through 13, it says, um, this, this is specifically in this moment, three years into their coming back in. So this is way before uh, Haggai writes this letter. He says this, And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Listen. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid, though many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of joyful shout or from the sound of the people weeping. For the, the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard from afar away. Here's the, here's the deal is that these old dudes who had seen the former temple, were looking at it going, are you kidding me? We're doing that? What is this? Rip their clothes, throw dust on their head, start to weep in a moment that's supposed to be glorious. This is not their work. This is God's work. This footprint is God's footprint. What they have done is they've started to compare the, 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 the past to the present. And I'll tell you what, you want to really discourage yourself, do that. Start comparing yourself. Oh, it was better before I got my divorce. It was better before I made that decision, before I got that diagnosis, before this or that. Lord, why have you put me here? Because you're in process. Because the Lord wants to work in your life. And he's allowing things in your life because you're in process. And he's allowing these things for your betterment, believe it or not. He's doing something. He wants to reveal himself in a a unique way. These guys were so discouraged by what they saw, they were saying, the Lord says this to them. He asked them three questions. Who is left among you who saw the house in its former glory? Raise your hand. He's like, who who among you? (laughs) Could you imagine? Raise your hand if you saw the former glory. That's me. Okay, question number two. How do you see it now? You really want me to answer that? Like, are you sure you want me to answer that, Lord? The Lord sees your heart, so he knows. Here's what he says. Let me answer it for you. Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Like you're looking at this and you're saying, dude, this is nothing. This is nothing. If you get your eyes off the Lord in any moment of your life, you're going to think what he's doing is nothing. And you're completely false. You're totally off base. He's doing something. I don't know... I don't know if, if we would classify it as great, but everything God does is great. So that means whatever he's doing in my life in this moment is great because he's great and he's good. That means everything he's doing in my life is good. 
He's trying to work out something in my life. I need to trust him in these things. I can't look at it and say, Lord, I'm comparing the past from the present, and I don't like the present. So I want to live in the past. Newsflash, you can't. What's the point of pondering backwards? Paul says, don't look behind, press forward. Move forward, man. Don't look backwards. Some of you guys are stuck in the past. You're stuck back 20 years ago. You made a mistake. You're still in that place. And you're saying, Lord, I, you could never use me. I'm just going to settle in this little place, this little footprint that, I think, that I've put myself in, and I'm not going to let you do anything else in my life because of what I did 20 years ago. He's like, what would you do? No, he's like, seriously, what would you do? I, I don't remember because I cast your sin as far as east is from the west. I remember it no more. What would you do? Do you want to bring it back up? Oh, you want to hang on to it? Well, I'll hang on to it too. No, you don't want God to hang on to it. And he will not hang on to it because Jesus was pinned to the cross for it. So what he says is, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. So listen, today, if that's you, you got to move on. You got to get in the present because he's not focused on what you did 20 years ago. He's in the now and he's doing something now and he needs you to get on board with him now. And you're being hindered by what, what you did in the past. Don't do that. Don't compare your present with the past. Do not do that. Some of you are saying, man, I'm comparing my present to the past and this is awesome. Don't compare at all. Listen, it's not, it's not bad or good. It's just different, right? Everything that God does is good. Everything that God, God does is great. So what he's doing in your life right now is just different than what he was doing 20 years ago. I look at our church and I think, oh, man, you know, four years ago, you know, the Lord was doing this. And I could look back and I'd be like, oh, man, it was, I was, you know, on cloud nine and all this kind of stuff. It was so encouraging and, and all this kind of stuff. And, and, and then I can compare it till now and I'm like, oh, Lord, you know, uh, and I can start to complain and, and be about, you know, if I get my eyes off the Lord. And the Lord says, yeah, I mean, I did some cool things in 2016, but I'm doing some pretty cool things now. And if you're focusing on 2016 and not now, then how can you really enjoy the things that I'm doing now? You get it? That's what he's saying. Don't focus backwards. The two sources of discouragement in our lives are going to be timing. You're not moving fast enough, God. Also, comparison. Lord, you're not doing what you used to do in my life. I want that more than I want what you're doing now. We got to get our eyes off the horizontal and get our eyes on the Lord. Here's the cure for discouragement, verse 4. Listen to what the Lord says to these people that are wholly, totally discouraged. Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong for all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I'm with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst, fear not. I love that the Lord encourages the downtrodden. Right? This is no rebuke. Don't even think for a second that God is rebuking them because they're three weeks in. We would do that, for sure. Be like, dude, you're an idiot. Why are you? You're, God, look what God just did, and now you're doing this? What, what are you doing? Like, the Lord would say, hey, I know you. I created you. I know how easy you get discouraged. Let me encourage you. Let me speak life into you. He, listen, a bruised reed he will not break, and a faint, fainting burning wick he will not quench, Isaiah 42, 3. God is with you. He is desiring to encourage you. 
in your difficulties. He desires to revive your spirit and, and your heart from discouragement, according to Isaiah chapter 57, verse 15. If, if you need encouragement, look at that verse, Isaiah 57, verse 15. For thus says the Lord, thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and the holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Do you want to know when somebody's discouraged what God thinks about it? He thinks like, hey, I want to pump some life into you. I want to blow some wind in your sail. I want to encourage you. I want to revive your heart that you can, you can be encouraged even in the most difficult times. I want, to, I want to revive that within you. And some of us need him to do that this morning, to blow some wind in our sails. And he is. He is. The question is, will we hear him? There's four things that he wants to remind us of regarding the cure for discouragement. Number one, you're stronger than you think you are. Number one, you are stronger than you think you are. If God is the source of our strength and our portion forever, then we are hashtag God strong. Amen? We are hashtag God strong. Our cure for discouragement is to reach deep within and rely on the strength that's already there. God will never put you in a position without already preparing you for what lies ahead. He's already given you the strength. So you get diagnosed with something or you have a financial burden that comes up or whatever it is. God has already given you what you need in that moment to, to, to press on, to move forward. He's put it inside you. His spirit is at work all the time inside of you, giving you what you need in the moment. That's why I keep re referencing this verse that God has given you everything you need for life and godliness. If that's not the case, if we don't have the strength when we step into the moment, then God hasn't given us everything for life and godliness. But he has. And so that means we have what we need. We, we have what we need. We, 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 God has given us what we need. We are stronger than we think. The Lord declares three times here, be strong, be strong, and be strong. Zerubbabel, be strong. Joshua, be strong. Oh, people of Israel, be strong. Who does that remind you of? Does it remind you of Joshua? Joshua chapter 1, three times. The Lord says, be strong and, and of good courage. I'm with you. You're not. The Lord knows us so well. And here's the thing is nothing is overtaking you except for what is common to man. You think you need to be reminded to be strong? We all do because we all struggle with it. So you're stronger than you think. Number two, not only uh, we also, we can accomplish far more than we think we can. Uh, you know, there are times in our, in our marriages, in our parenting, our occupations, our financial situations that we can get so discouraged we just want to give up. It's, it's so hard. Oh, this person won't change. They won't. They're, 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 you know, there's a lack in your relationship, and you're frustrated because they're not doing their part, right? And, and so you're just going to say, ah, just, I'm just going to give up then because if, they, if they're not going to do their part, then I'm not going to do, really? That's not the way it works. You do your part. But maybe that's you this morning. You've given up. I've been so consistent in my parenting. I've been training my child to do this, and they're still not doing it. I'm so frustrated. I just don't know what to do. Throw your hands up in the air. Not the right move, right? The right move is press on. 
He didn't say it would be easy, right? Maybe you have a mound of debt that you're trying to work through, and you're feeling like, I'll never, ever get out of this, Lord. Really? There's no hope. Zero hope right now in, in this situation in your life, right? That's not what the Bible says. It's not what the Bible says. God is a provider, and he knows where you are. He'll, he'll work through it with you. Stop making bad decisions, number one, and uh, just get on his train, and he'll help you work out everything else, okay? So, so you got to trust in him, and you got to rely on him. But whatever the case is, whatever the circumstance is, you're, you're ready to give up, and God says, wait a second. Be strong and work. Be strong and work. You got to work at it. You know, you want a better marriage, you got to work at it. I think some of us think like, well, wasn't the work in the vows? I mean, I thought, I mean, I decided, hey, I do. Wasn't that the work? No, that, that was like, that was like pregame, like hydration. At that point, you haven't even gotten to the gym yet, right? Now, in your marriage, you know, you haven't invested in it at all. You haven't worked out at all. You haven't been working at it. And you've just let it take you wherever it wants to take you or wherever the enemy wants to take you. And you haven't worked at it. You're wondering, man, what in the world? What happened to my, my kids? Why are, they, why are they making these decisions? Hey, sometimes it has nothing to do with you and your parenting. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. But the Lord says you got to keep investing. you got to keep working. you got to keep your hand to the plow, man. Uh, listen, you can, do, you can accomplish far more than you think. If you rely on God and you press forward in these moments, he can do anything. But he, he's partnered with you. So here's the deal is that the hindrance comes down to your willingness to work. Right? Your willingness to work. God can do the miraculous. He will go around you and do something. But listen, he's partnered with you. And he said, I want you to get on board with me. And I want to work through you. That's how he's chosen to do it. Yes, you have free will. You can make whatever decisions you want to. God's saying, I want you to partner with me. And I want to walk through this stuff with you. But you've got to partner with me. You've got to be willing to put the work in. You know? And, and, and here's the thing is, for some of us, we think, oh, well, I'm just going to work harder then because God's put all the responsibility on my. That's not the way it works either. So there, there's this mystery of God in control of everything, having this master plan, and then our participation in that master plan where God will only do certain things and we will only do certain things. And if that plan's not working, it's because you're not doing certain things. It's not because he hasn't done his part. Right? So we got to work. We got to step into what he's calling us to. And we got we to gotta work at it. We got to work at our marriages. We got to work at our parenting. We got to work at, you know, being a Christian in the world. We got to work at these things. We got to work at knowing the Lord no more. We got to work at growing in the Lord. We got to work. Thirdly, we need to trust God that he will keep his end of the deal. Did you notice the word covenant in there? I gave you a covenant. And he's speaking about the old covenant. Remember when they were coming out of Egypt and the Lord said, go in your houses and put blood on the doorpost and the lentil and the angel of death is going to go over you and all of that kind of stuff. And there, there was that, that whole deal there. And, and the Lord, uh, the blood protected them. 
And it's always been that way. It's been about the blood. It's always been a blood covenant. There's always been a sacrifice. Anytime God has ever partnered with man, made an agreement with man, whether it's conditional or unconditional, there's always been the shedding of blood. That's what consecrates the deal. And so the Lord made a covenant with Israel that he would be with them, that he would see them through everything. He would be their God. They would be his people, and, and they, would, um, you know, they would walk in obedience to him and all of these sorts of things. They're in agreement with him. With, 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 he's in agreement with them in that regard. He's made certain promises as a result of that, of his covenant. And he's reminding these people of their promises. One of the promises that he gave them is that his spirit would remain with them, that he would be among them. Now, it's interesting because they were under an old covenant, which was by blood and um, which was a partnership between them and the Lord, but we're under a new covenant, which was sealed by blood, and God's in a partnership with you. And it's really, we, we want to think like, oh, the Old Testament has nothing to do with me. Do you know that it's just pointing us to, this, to, to the new covenant, which is a relationship with God through a sacrifice that was given? It's the exact same thing, except for Jesus is the sacrifice, and it happened once. And that he has, you know, we're not reaching out to God through law because Jesus has satisfied the law, but we're not lawless in the way that we're called to live our lives, right? We're not lawless. We're supposed to be living our lives according to what Jesus said. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. What commandments are those? Read the Gospels. It's those ones. And do you know that Jesus references the Old Testament more than anybody? Listen. We're not free to do whatever, whatever. We're in a covenant with God. We're in a partnership with God. And here they had the Spirit of God among them, but you have the Spirit of God in you. That's the difference. There was uh, no redemption through the temple sacrifices in the Old Testament, but there is redemption through Jesus Christ. That means the Holy Spirit can come and reside inside of you, and he will never take his Spirit from you. Never, ever will he take it from you. He promised them under the covenant they were in that he wouldn't remove his spirit in that covenant relationship with them. But that covenant was also conditional based on their, their keeping of his commandments and all. But the Holy Spirit, everything changed. That's why Jesus said, it's to your benefit that I go away. Because if I can't, the Holy Spirit can't come and reside inside of you. You have, you can accomplish way more than you think you can, and God will always keep his end of the deal. Look what he says here, fear not. Fear not. Some, some of you are walking in difficult things right now, and the Lord's saying, fear not. That, and you think like, oh, that's easy for you to say, Lord. How do I do that? Get your eyes on the Lord. That's how. How do, how do I remove fear from my life? I get my eyes on the Lord, and he removes the fear. He casts the fear out, not me. Some of us think we just need to buck up a little bit more. And, you know, that's not the case. We need to get our eyes on God more. Again, we can't rely on our own power to do any of this. We need to get our eyes on Jesus. When we get our eyes on the Lord, then we see the magnitude of who he is in comparison to who or what we are fearing, and it puts things into perspective. Look at David. Remember David and Goliath? David stood for, like, the entire Israeli army 
was literally you could hear the clanking because they were so scared. They were shaking in their boots uh, at Goliath. And David, the little boy, is walking around. What, what are you guys doing? Why are you guys acting like this? Don't you know God? You guys got your eyes on the wrong thing. David's like, dude, that guy's no match for my God. He's not saying, he didn't say he's no match for me. He said he's no match for my God. David had an understanding as a boy that God was with him always. And here's the thing is, God practically worked that out in his life. As he served and followed the Lord, the Lord showed up in his life when a bear showed up, a lion showed up. He gave him the power to fight that thing with his bare hands. So David knew, you're just a man. You're no match for my God. And he steps onto the battlefield with not one stone, but five. One for Goliath and four for his brothers. And he's saying, Lord, I'm trusting you, man, with a slingshot and some rocks. Right? And he goes out and he slays Goliath. You have a slingshot and some rocks inside of you. And his name is the Holy Spirit. You have power way beyond what you, you, you have nothing to fear. God is with you. He's bigger than any, any circumstance, any trouble, anything that you're going to find yourself in. And so he can tell you fear not because he's the one that casts our fear out. We have to keep our perspective when we find ourselves in fear. We have to ask ourselves, what am I fearing? And we need to trust the Lord. God will always do what he says he's going to do. He'll show up. It might not look the way that you want it to look, but he will be with you. Finally, the catalyst for remaining encouraged, resting in God's promises. Verse 6, for thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while, I'll shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of the house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. In this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. God gives a catalyst for remaining encouraged throughout life. It doesn't matter where you are in life. If you're in right relationship with God through Jesus, then these things will keep you encouraged. First of all, you have to look ahead of what's to come. Things will never remain as they are now. God is always moving. He's always at work. You need to look ahead. You need to trust him. Uh, you know, it, it, that he's going to do exactly what he said. He's coming back for you. We, we look forward. We don't, we don't necessarily, even in the present, we have our eyes upward looking forward to the return of Christ. Above anything else, that should encourage you that he will never leave you or forsake you. He's coming back for you. He went away to prepare a place for you, and he's going to come back for you. It's meant for encouragement. We just God done speaking about that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and chapter 5. The Lord's coming back. We need to remind ourselves of that. And he, here's the thing is, listen to what he says. When I do, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry ground, the dry land. So, so historically, there was a shaking that happened, and it was given prophetically to Daniel in Daniel chapter 2. It was speaking about the powers, the earthly powers that would come into existence. And he said that the Babylonians would be taken over by the Medo-Persians. The Medo-Persians would be taken over by 
uh, the Greeks, and then the Greeks would be taken over by the Romans. And at that point, the Romans would disperse, but there would be a regathering, the feet uh, mixed with iron and clay representing a revived Roman Empire, right? And so what God is saying is there's a shaking that's going to come down upon the world powers, and, it, and that's exactly what happened. Daniel chapter 2, you can read it later. So the Lord's saying there's that shaking. A lot of times prophecy is near-term and, and long-term. So sometimes there's two fulfillments. There's a partial fulfillment when he works out one portion of it, but there's always a future fulfillment in, in, in that case. And in this case, that, that's possibly what he's talking about. The future fulfillment would be the moment when that surgent Roman army rises up and ushers in, you know, the Lord, the, the Antichrist, the tribulation period, the shaking happening during that time, and then the return of Christ, which then us ushers in the millennial reign, which, by the way, will also host a fully functioning temple in the millennial kingdom which I'll get to in a minute. And so we need to look forward. God has a plan in store. He's, he's got a plan in place. It's going. It's working out right now. He's doing it. So we need to be encouraged that, hey, you know, we say it all the time. I guess that this is part of his plan. This is what he's working in my life. He's doing this thing. Listen, if you consider, if you keep the sovereignty of God in the forefront of your mind and just say, God, you're sovereign and you know you know the, the stupid things I'll do. You know the things that you're trying to do in my life. But I'm just going to trust you no matter what. I'm going to keep moving forward. Uh, you, you can never go wrong with that. This is part of your plan, Lord, and I trust you, and I'm going to walk through it. So you just you keep that in mind. That's, that's our source of encouragement. If he's, if he's in it, listen, it's a good thing for us. Another source of continued encouragement is the fact that God has never or will never have a resource problem. Did you see that he said the silver is mine, the gold is mine, all of that? So, so God will supply our every need. And uh, he, he owns all the treasures in, in the world. And uh, he, he owns everything. Even Psalm 50, verse 10, David said, For the beast of the, of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. The Lord owns everything. It's all his. And um, he doesn't ever have a resource problem. So whatever he's calling you to, if it has a resource problem, God will solve that resource problem. If he wants you to do it, he'll supply what's necessary to do it. So we, we have a saying, where God guides, he provides, right? Where God guides, he provides. That's a little, little thing that you could say in your own life. Because if he's guiding you somewhere, he's going to provide for you. But if he's not, then you'll know. He won't provide for things that are outside but he will provide for you if you're, if you're in his will, if you're doing what he's calling you to do. He doesn't, have, he doesn't have a, you know, so many times, you know, you see pastors begging from the pulpit, you know, oh, come on, just give some money and stuff. Listen, if God's in it, I don't need to do that. Uh, he, he'll work on people's hearts. I, I don't need to do that. I don't need to beg people to give to God because it's a blessing to do that. You know, it's such a blessing to be able to be part of what the Lord's doing. And Listen, I think there's a lot of ministries at work today that are outside of God's will that are being supplied by manipulation, and it's not God's work at all. And I don't care how many people show up, right? If God is in it, he will provide for it. And that's what we've always trusted in. 
Third and finally, the latter glory will be greater than the former. God is preparing a, an eternity for you that's going to blow your mind. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, what, I, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. The best is yet to come, folks. If you keep your eyes on the Lord and you continue to look forward to your reunion with him, you will be encouraged because this is as worse as it gets for you. And some of you are going, well, I hope so because this, this is about as worse as I want it to get for me. But listen, it's going to be so much better. Paul said, Paul said, I think it was in Romans 8, I can't compare my earthly sufferings compared to the eternal weight of glory that I'm going to receive when I walk into the presence of God. There is no comparison. It's going to be like this. And what God has for you is going to way outweigh, completely outweigh. The scales will tip. You'll be blown away. Keep your eyes on the Lord. He is what will keep you encouraged. The worship team's going to come forward. We're going to close. I want to say one thing about this, 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 this glory that he's talking about. Finally, the latter glory will be greater than the former. And, and the treasure that he's talking about, the treasure of all the nations. You guys can discuss this in home group this week. But that, that phrase, the treasure of all nations, is actually a title for Jesus. Desire of all nations is another, another phrase in there that you can use. It's a title for Jesus. The glory that, that God is talking about that's going to come in this temple here is, is, number one, it's going to be uh, God is going to fill the place with his glory. But he's also going to uh, take this temple and he's going to use a man named Herod and he's going to build this temple to a glorious structure once again. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's building. And, and you're, you may see something right now and you're thinking, man, that sure doesn't look like what I expected it to look like. Well, he's not done yet. He's not done with you yet. He's at work in you. You're not what you, what you could be, but you're not what you were. So the Lord's at work in your life, and, and he'll continue to shape you and make you who he wants you to be. You just let him do it. You're a building. You're a stone. He's shaping you. He's filled you with his glory. The, the Lord is pointing forward to a temple that is going to exist one day. But here's the most miraculous thing is that when, when that temple was in all of its glory, the Son of God came down, and he walked into that temple, and he filled it with his glory. He filled that temple with his glory. The latter glory will be, uh, the, 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 what does it say? The, the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former. There is no temple that has ever existed that saw the glory that that temple saw. Because Jesus himself came into this temple. Jesus taught at this temple. Jesus, uh, you know, he fed his disciples. He helped people in this temple. He felt, filled that place with his presence. And the other, only other time we'll ever see that again on earth is in the millennial kingdom. When we'll see another temple built. Another temple that will be fully functioning. And Jesus will be residing in Jerusalem, sitting on the throne, ruling physically. And guess what? I believe we're going to be there. We're going to see it. And we're going to say, man, it was never about a building, was it, Lord? It was never about a building. 
It was always about your presence. That's where the glory is. I don't know what you're looking for today. I don't know what you're looking, um, looking at to find his glory in. But listen, his glory is in you. He's filled your temple. And, and this morning, if you're discouraged, I want to encourage you that. Uh, that the Lord wants to remind you this morning that he is in you, that he's with you. That you don't have to, you don't have to run through this life feeling like you're alone. You're not. Stop listening to your feelings and start listening to the word of God. Stop, stop trusting in yourself and start trusting in the Lord. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for just what we find here today about how we can overcome discouragement. And, and it's all about focusing on the right details and focusing, listening to the right voice and trusting in the right things. And this morning, Lord, some of us are in a place of despair. We're discouraged. And you've spoken to us today, Lord. You said, oh, thank you for the reminder, Lord. We ask you right now, Lord, for anyone here that is in that place of discouragement, that they just look to you right now. We don't want to, we don't need to point them out, Lord. You know who they are. But if that's you right now, I want you to just acknowledge to the Lord, Lord, you know that's me. And I want to pray a prayer over you this morning. Lord, that's me. Lord, that's me. God, you see every heart in this place. You know what's going on in our lives. And we pray for those in this, in this place this morning that are so discouraged, God. They've thrown their hands up in these certain areas of their lives. And you're saying, hey, it's, it's time to pull your hands back down, get to, put them to the plow and get to work. But I'm going to help you and I'm going to be with you. And so, Father, as, as we just pray a prayer of recommitment to you of these areas in our lives that we have, we have just completely given up on, that you would empower us and equip us this morning, Lord, to, to, to be who we're called to be in that situation. And maybe it's just personal encouragement that we need. So if that's you, you just pray this prayer with me. Lord, you know the discouragement of my heart. You know the issue or issues, and I surrender them to you now, Lord, and I'm committing to follow your path, whatever you would have for me, but I can't do it on my own. Will you fill me with your spirit today? Will you help me, God, to get over the things I need to get over to move forward? Will you strengthen me, Lord? Will you bring people around me to walk through it with me, Lord? I thank you that your son paid it all for me and that I can have the victory in these areas of my life. Give me strength, Lord. Give me power. We lift this to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.